Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Mike Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy. I am your host. And today on the podcast, we're going to talk about the monthly CPI report. The, uh, the subtitle today is Sorry I Could Not Travel Both, which, of course, is a reference to uh, the, uh, the Frost poem, Two Roads Diverged in a Yellow Wood. And that's what's happening here. Two roads are diverging here. Uh, in terms of monetary policy, and we'll talk about uh, why the why there's a problem that you can't travel both. But first, we'll uh, hear from our sponsor. This episode of Sense and Sensibility is sponsored by Simplify ETFs, a fast-growing ETF shop democratizing access to the most sophisticated alternative strategies with diversifying strategies like market-neutral, equity-long-short, managed futures, and multi-strat quant. Simplify has a suite of compelling tools to help address the biggest concerns with the classic 60-40 portfolio. Check out their website at simplify.us. That's simplify.us, and you can find their entire lineup of ETFs at simplify.us slash ETFs. Okay, um, and the trivia question, I almost forgot. Um in nine, in what nineteen in the nineteen eighty three movie War Games, one of the great movies, by the way, a Matthew Broderick flick, but you know he was just a kid. It was uh, uh, a great movie. But anyway, um, in that movie, the Defense Department had a supercomputer that was nicknamed Whopper, W W O P R, and the question today is, what did Whopper stand for? So. CPI day. And this is the last CPI that I tweeted about live on, uh, on X. I think, um, I I've done that for a very long time and it's a, it's a very stressful thing to go and analyze something live for a live audience. Um, and you know, it's worth doing. Um, but, uh, but a lot of times, you know, it, it, I had to mess with my schedule to be able to actually be able to do it live and I always had technical problems. I finally said, you know what? It's just not worth it. So um, I'm going to keep doing the podcast. I'm going to keep doing the blog about the, the CPI, the monthly CPI. Uh, but I'm no longer going to do the, the live Twitter thing. Um, this number was just slightly above expectations. The headline was a little bit above expectations uh, partly because of piped gas, um, core inflation was just a couple of hundredths, like 0.28 versus expectations for like a 0.25 or a 0.26 uh, sort of thing. It was led by shelter, used cars, physician services, and I'll get to that in a second. There weren't a whole lot of, of big surprises, um, and uh, and as a result, we had a pretty placid market response. Although part of that is is December. Uh, ultimately, how you feel about this number, how you feel about inflation these days, boils down to how you feel about shelter. Um, but uh, but we'll talk about shelter. We'll talk about Supercore um, and and some other things. So the overall number was was uh, the headline number seasonally adjusted was up one tenth. Um, actually 0 0.097, so almost exactly 0 0.1. And core was 0.285%, so it rounded up to 0.3. Median was 0.434%. Um, so those were, like I said, higher than expectations, not by much. Maybe maybe median was a little bit higher than, than people had expected to see it. 
immediately jumping out when you looked at the number was uh, what were the rent numbers? Because that's always one of the first places you look. It's the biggest piece. And so if something big and bad is going to happen or some, there's a surprise, it tends to happen somehow in, in rents because only a little surprise can ripple through the number pretty easily because let's wait. Uh, owner's equivalent rent was up one half percent month on month, which was higher than last month's 0.41. Uh, primary rents, rent of primary residence, like if you're renting your actual apartment as opposed to owning a home, was 0.48% month on month, uh, which was, was down slightly from last month, but still far above most models um, would have would have rents at this point. You know, everybody's models have rents declining, mine included. In fact, my model has it starting to accelerate downward in the next month or two. The difference between what I see and what other folks see is that my model bottoms out around 3% and other models seem to go like into harsh deflation. More on that later. But... Um, but this month at 0.5%, you know, at roughly a 6% annualized pace is, is clearly outside of what everybody was expecting. Um, used cars uh, was a small add to the number. Um, the latest black book figures on, uh, on used car prices was a sharp decline of, of more than 4%. And so even seasonally adjusted I expected a decline. Other people were expecting an increase because last month's black book was a little was positive, and yet the, the CPI fell, and so it looks like there was sort of, there's been introduced a new one month lag in there. But um, but anyway, so the used cars added um, a little bit. Um, medical care was an outlier compared to recent trends. Doctors' services rose more than a half a percent month on month which would be alarming, except that last month they fell 1%. So that was this, uh, this month was kind of a give back. Um, physician services should not be declining at a 12% annualized rate. And so the 1% last month was uh, a little nuts. That, that sub-index, that sub-component of, of physician services does jump around an awful lot, but that 1% down was, a, was, was really big. And so... I wasn't necessarily expecting a give back, but it's not at all surprising that we got it. Uh, medicinal drugs was uh, up 0.45% month on month, and the prior month it had been 0.6%. Okay, so that's the pharmaceutical component. So medical care has three main components, well, four, but it has four components. So it has medicinal drugs, so pharmaceuticals, those are core goods. It has doctor's services and hospital services. Those are in core services. And then it has health insurance. And we've, we've talked a lot about health insurance. It added a, you know, a basis point and it's going to keep adding a basis point for the next few months. Um, and that's sort of mechanical. Um, it's been really surprising to me for a while, given that we just came through a pandemic, that medical care was not rising at a faster pace, but it is what it is. Um, part of that is quality adjustment and, and so on. But, um, Anyway, so medicinal drugs have been, you know, accelerating a little bit. Prescription drugs um, are now 
have now accelerated to 3.77% year on year, which is the highest level in, in, in quite a while, in several years. And, uh, and the reason I mention that is that just this last week, there was news, and I, I talk about it on the blog, um, but uh, haven't talked about it here um, recently, um, is the, last, last week the Biden administration sort of announced that um, if they think that the prices for prescription drugs are going up too fast, that they're simply just going to seize patents um, for any drugs that are inflating too fast. And, and they believe that a 1983 law uh, gives them the right to do that. There's this law that said that um, any drug that was co-developed with the, with the U.S., uh, with the government's, with government funding, government had, have, has some rights to. And, and the rights, according to the legislation, is that if the pharmaceutical company developing the drug decided not to release it and to just keep it on the shelf rather than, than putting it into the market, the government could force them to put it into the market. I mean, we're not going to have you develop a neat new drug and then not let people have it. Um, the law has never been used because, surprise, every time a pharmaceutical company develops a hot new drug, they want to make money on it. Um, but the Biden administration believes that even if something is being sold, if it's not being sold for the price they want, that's the same as it not being available. And so therefore they can just seize the patent and distribute it to other people, um, other companies to go and, and create generics off of or whatever. Um, highly unlikely to actually uh, result in the mass seizure of pharmaceutical patents, um, but it's clearly shot across the bow and, and it, it smacks of the wage and price control stuff that I, I said last year is my biggest fear about, about everything here. Um, but anyway, so this year prescription drugs got up to 3.77% year on year. That's higher in headline inflation. That surely is going to lead to more, you know, crazy talk, even though a 4% year on year increase in, in medicinal drugs is, is just not a big number, but um, I'm sure some of the drugs went up much more in price. That's what an average means, but uh, but it still seems seems a little crazy to me. But uh, what do I know? Uh, finally, let's see uh, core goods inflation, which medicinal drugs is part of, uh, had been at one uh, one tenth of a percent year on year. It got to zero year on year. Um, core services inflation stayed at five point one year on year. And that's sort of the dichotomy that's been happening a long time. Core goods inflation, which includes used cars, in the pandemic, it spiked first. Core services came later. Now, core goods is, is, has gone back down to zero, mostly because the dollar has been extremely strong. Core services is not coming down nearly as, as quickly. Now, I continue to expect inflation to fall, core and headline inflation to fall, uh, for the next four to six months, there are really easy comps, and so you're going to start to see you're going to see core come down in, until the middle of next year. But I think that inflation is going to end up settling in the high threes, low fours, and my my perspective on that hasn't changed. Maybe it's maybe because the money supply continues to contract a little bit. Maybe we're talking the mid threes to high threes is where we're going to end up. This next year, we could have a cycle bottom as low as maybe three percent. Um, but not getting critically very close to 
the Fed's target of two, two and a half percent sort of thing. Um, and uh, and that's for for a whole bunch of reasons that we've talked about in this podcast quite a bit before. To get inflation back to target in 2024, and there are still plenty of folks who are forecasting that we're going to get inflation back at target in 2024, um, we would need one of one or more of the following three things to happen. First, you'd need shelter inflation to actually go negative. As I said, my forecast and my model, which has been a pretty good model, um, has inflation bot- has shelter inflation or, or rents inflation bottoming, bottoming it out around three. But if you there are various um, high frequency measures. Um, that are, again, there's been a, I did a podcast on, on the rents, um, before and, and why those, those numbers, uh, aren't necessarily believable, but people believe them. And so some of them call for deflation next year. Now, home prices are headed back up. Landlord costs keep going up. I can't imagine why that would mean that you would want to cut rents, but that's, that's what uh, that's what people are looking for. So there's one clear difference. But if you if you want inflation to get back to target, you need to have that's one thing that that could get you back there. If you get rents back at zero, then that's enough of the CPI that you're going to have the overall number come down to target. Or you could have core goods go into hard deflation. You know, for the couple of decades prior to to COVID, when Globalization was breaking out everywhere, and and you know, core goods were, were routinely between minus one and minus two percent. So if you got core goods down to minus two percent, let's suppose the dollar just keeps on strengthening here. So if you could get core goods, and again that includes medicinal drugs and and used cars and things like that, um, if you can get that to minus two percent, then then you can get you can start to get close to your to to the Fed's target. Um, used cars has already given, given up, you know, it's always already fallen like 17% from the highest or something like that. It's going to be, it's going to be hard for, that's been the main reason that we've seen the deceleration in core goods so far. The biggest contributor has been used cars and it, that's, I think that's kind of wrung out. I don't think we're going to see used car prices continue to decline over the next year. If they do, then maybe you can get, start getting back to target again. I don't, I don't see that that is, is uh, going to happen. Um, and I don't think apparel, medicinal drugs, I don't think you're going to get enough of a drag on those, especially as we deglobalize to get core goods in hard deflation. But if you did, then you can get closer to target. And again, all of these three things assume nothing bad happens in the other components. And the third different thing that could happen is core services X shelter, the so-called super core um, could decelerate markedly. Um, like I said, that's around you know five percent now. Well, core core services overall is at is at five point one, um, including rents, and it's a little bit lower than that with core services um, X rents. But it actually it actually hooked a little bit higher this month for core services X shelter to decelerate. Markedly, you're, you probably need to see wages decelerate a lot more. The Atlanta Fed wage growth tracker is at 5.1, and Core Services X shelters like 3.3 or 3.4. Uh, 
that's about as wide as that spread ever really gets. Um, so if you want to get um, super core down to two, then you probably need wages to be three or four percent, and we're at, we're over five. So we got a ways to go there. It could happen, but um, probably not without a lot more unemployment. So to repeat my recent theme, then um, the inflation numbers are better. The the breadth of the inflation continues to narrow. The breadth of the disinflation and the, even the deflationary thing, roughly 20% of the CPI um, that is mostly core goods are in outright deflation over the last year. The problem is that's the, that's the part that moves quickly. And so it's not going to, that, that 20% is not going to stay in deflation for another year. It's going to come positive at some point. But the distribution of inflation is looking better. The level of inflation is looking better and all that. None of that's terribly surprising. I sort of expected that to, to, to happen. And again, for the next four to six months, we have easy comps and core is going to continue to come down. But we're officially into the hard part. You know, I mentioned that on, on this podcast before, that the easy part is over. We're into the hard part. Year-on-year year CPI, core CPI was unchanged at 4% this month. Um, and it's going to be a, a difficult slog to get, to get down there. The underlying trends right now do not point to inflation placidly returning to two and a quarter in 2024 or in 2025 unless the money supply continues to shrink. And that's the, the honestly the reason any reason for optimism comes down to the fact that the money supply has been shrinking now for a lot longer than I think it it, it was. I thought, I thought it was going to. It's only shrinking at a 1% or 2% annualized rate. It's not shrinking very quickly, but it is shrinking. And, and typically, you need the money supply to grow a little bit because you have a growing economy. And so you need more money to, to grease the wheels of more commerce. And so when the money supply is flat or decreasing, that's, that is good for, def, for, for disinflation in the long run. The problem is we have a whole lot of extra money in the system that – we aren't close to ringing out and we're not going to ring out. We're just not, we just can't, we're just not going to decrease the money supply sufficiently to get it. So we're, so we're talking about permanently being at a higher price level, but inflation can keep coming down if the money supply continues to shrink. Here's the problem. The market is pricing in something like five Fed eases in 2024. Why that is, I'm, continue to be baffled because even though I think there's going to be a recession next year, even though the Fed thinks there's going to be a recession next year, they've been really vocal at saying that they have no intention of starting to ease anytime soon. And and 125 basis points of easing in 2024, while it could happen, it doesn't strike me as kind of the null case, right? I mean, it's, it's, you know, but if they do that, so, so that's what the market thinks. The market is pricing and easing, but if the Fed eases, then they're not going to keep shrinking the balance sheet. If they lower rates, they're not going to also keep shrinking the balance sheet because that would look to a lot of people like they're tightening with one hand by shrinking the balance sheet and they're easing with the other hand by lowering interest rates. By the way, there's really no reason they can't do that because they don't set short rates anymore by controlling you know, their balance sheet like they used to. So in theory, and I've actually said they should do this, 
they should lower rates because that doesn't really affect inflation at all. Um, and they should decrease the balance sheet because that does affect the money supply a little bit and would, um, as a consequence of affecting the money supply, help rein in inflation. But there's very little chance the Fed will actually do that, that the Fed will actually decrease the money supply or decrease the, the balance sheet while easing. So if they don't, if that kind of bifurcated strategy where you're tightening with one hand, easing with the other, which would there'd be a lot of criticism of them if they did that, not least from from Treasury, who would love them to start buying more bonds but and stop selling them. Um, but if that's not going to happen, then one of two things has to happen. One of two things is going to happen from here. If the market's right, the Fed eases in 2024 and stops shrinking the balance sheet. That would be great for the bond market, great for the stock market. Yeah, I don't know how great it would for the stock. The stock market's already pricing it in, right? So, but it would it would be definitely be good for fixed income and wouldn't be bad for equities. Uh, but it also would mean inflation probably wouldn't even get back to 3% on core before reaccelerating. Um, the only thing which is helping us down there, other than sort of the oscillation of core goods, is that the Fed has is at least trying to do be kind of responsible with the size of the balance sheet. And if they stop doing that, then then you're going to see money supply reaccelerate, and then you you know you're not going to you won't have st stamped out inflation, and you're going to have inflation go back up, and you won't be able to blame it on COVID anymore. Um, so that's one possibility. The other possibility is the Fed doesn't ease in 2024. They do what they've been saying, which is higher for longer. We're just going to keep rates up here, and we're going to keep shrinking the balance sheet. And in which case, the market ain't going to like that. If we're pricing at 125 basis points and they get zero at some point, stocks and bonds are going to have to reprice, which is a bad market outcome. Um, so there aren't any easy ways out. Um, that's what this is the hard part means is the Fed does not have a good easy way out that the market's going to like and that will will result in the kind of disinflation that they really want. If they really want to get to two, two and a quarter, they've got a long way to go. The distance between 6% and 4% looks like the same as between 4 and 2. But 6 to 4 6% four, to 4% 4 was really easy comparatively and 4 to 2 is going to be really really hard. Um if we have determination at the central bank, it can happen, not in 2024, but probably in 2025. But if we don't have determination in the central bank, if they take their eye off the ball, then we're not going to get there. And we're going to have another swing higher in inflation, probably not back to 7%, but another swing higher, maybe back four and a half, five, something like that. And then it's just, you know, a sort of, it'll, it'll be sort of an ugly situation when everyone realizes that inflation isn't just going right back away. But that's a story for 2024, and this is the end of 2023. This is the last CPI report we'll get this year. We, we will get December's report in January, and um, and then we'll start talking about the, the next step, right? So this is also the last, last podcast I plan to do in 2023, and I thank you all very much for, for uh, attending the podcast and referring your friends. Uh, for those of you who have written to me and given questions, I really appreciate it. Can't believe we're almost up to 100 episodes now, and it's all due to you, the listener. So thanks again, and, and Merry Christmas to you.
but I can't leave you without giving you the answer to the trivia question. The question was, in the wonderful 1983 movie War Games, the Defense Department supercomputer was nicknamed Whopper, W-O-P-R. What does that stand for? And it stood for, and this, it's, this really seemed like they were really forcing it so they could get Whopper out of it, but it's War Operation Plan Response. If you haven't seen that movie, if you're of a certain age and you haven't seen War Games, you have to see War Games so you understand what people like me, who were young in the early 1980s, what we were worried about. Global thermonuclear war. So, and worth the seeing. Um, that's all for today's podcast. As I said, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Please like, subscribe, refer others. Contact me at inflationguideenduringinvestments.com. Subscribe for free to the blog at inflationguide.blog. Follow me on Twitter at inflation underscore guy. And most of all, more important than any of that, defend your money. And if inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy. Who